0: Good morning. Please pray with me. Living God, help us so to hear your word, that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow your way in all faithfulness, Seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, and all God's people said, Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 through 21, found on page 252 of your Pew Bible. Again, Joshua 24 verses 14 through 21, page 252 in the Pew Bible. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For he is our God. But Joshua said to the people. You are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord. And serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. After having done you good. And the people said to Joshua. No, but we. Will serve the Lord.
1: Thank you, Russ. Would you join with me in prayer, please? Dear God, we thank you for the promise of your Spirit that guides our understanding when we seek you. So, God, I pray that as uh, the words that I share, that they would be guided by your Spirit, and that anything that diverts from your truth that, that would be quickly forgotten. Thank you for the promise of your Spirit. It's in the Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So, this week, we're beginning a three part series, a three part series of looking at the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, this morning, as we look at the Father, we're, um, there's a foundational basis for it. And part of that foundation comes from our history. And we are heirs, we are part of the Reformation um, from Martin Luther. An uh, important day last week of um, October 31st, Reformation Day. And um, if any hardcore Lutherans know what um, t- Tuesday is, I'll be impressed. It is Martin Luther's birthday on uh, November 10th. But uh, Martin Luther was a man who spoke up against some um, injustices and some problems that were going on in the, um, in the Roman Catholic Church of his day. And um, it's a thing that different men and women have done at different times in our society and in the history of our faith. One of those times was even about a thousand years before Martin Luther, and that was um, during the the reign of Constantine in Rome, and there were some questions about trying to understand who God was, and specifically, the Trinity. There was a man named Arius, and he had a theory, an idea that he was um, spreading around, called um, Iranianism, which was a teaching that stated that Jesus is the highest created being but does not share the same substance as the Father. So he was trying to identify who Jesus and God were, but really kind of different substances, different parts. And there was a group that um, Constantine had called together of theologians and priests and scholars to debate and discuss this, and they met at the Council of Nicaea. And in the process of their meeting and their discussion, they said that um, the, the idea of Aranism was heresy was not factual, was not truthful. And from that was the, um, from that discussion and that, that meeting is the, the document that we know as the Nicene Creed, which we'll share together in stating our faith. And so we're a people that um, our creeds are important. Our creeds help us to understand and give um, definition and meaning to some of the areas of Scripture where maybe there's a little cloudiness. So this morning, as we began looking at the Trinity, we began with God the Father. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was reflecting on other times I had preached on, God, or on fathers, and usually it was earthly fathers. And it's different when you're looking at our Heavenly Father. And so really, what does it mean, or what does it look like for us to be God's children? And there's many different ways and pictures and ideas and illustrations of trying to understand and figure out um, what does the Trinity look like. And there's this, this um, picture that maybe you've seen before that shows the three parts of God and how they're connected. It's tra- called a triquetra, and it is the three different parts but, um, of being of the same, but each with their three distinct parts. And this helps us to know that God is the same substance, but has three different parts, Father, Son... And Holy Spirit. So, why is it important for us to know that God is our Father? Why is it important as followers of Christ to um, know that it is an important part of this Trinity to understand? We look back in our history of people following God even before Jesus came, and as Russ shared with um, with us from our scripture reading from Joshua, this part of us wanting to wander, wanting to go away from what God has taught. The Israelites are here with Joshua, it's towards the end of Joshua's life, and he's saying, God has given you this great land, has given you victories over different um, um, ruling and inhabiting forces, and has given you victory, and as you go into this place, remain true to God. Don't follow their ways, don't follow their other gods. But we just read a few chapters later into Judges multiple times where it says that the people did evil in the eyes of God. And so let me read you the again the last part of what um, Russ read from Joshua, and here the 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 pronouncement of the, the path of destruction. The people say, "No, we'll never go there." Joshua twenty nine nineteen through twenty one. You are not you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn. He will turn and, and do, do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. They knew that they would continue to turn away from God. God had put the, 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 the man, put up there the, the law to say this is what's needed. People said, will do it. And Joshua said, no. You're going to continue to seek other gods. And maybe we think we're different. We don't have a little idols in our house or other gods that we're serving, but in a lot of ways we do. They just don't have the form of golden calves and some of the other things that we saw in the Old Testament. And one of the things that we do with our foreign gods are some of the, the lies that we buy, lies that, um, that we help identify us. And there's really four lies that we're going to look at and see how they compare in Scripture in, in, in contrast to what we are as God's children. The first lie that we buy when we forget who God is, forget that God is our Father, is we buy the lie that a better version of ourselves would solve all of our problems. The lie that if we were just to lose some weight, just to read more books, get more sleep, be healthier, whatever it is, that that would solve all of our problems. There's also the lie that um, others can validate us. We're looking for others to affirm us, to give us meaning and give us purpose. And we're constantly seeking what others think of us instead of God. There's the lie that also consumes us that the world often speaks, telling us that we need more of what we already have. We need a newer car that's faster and safer and better. We need more clothes that are going to make us look better or be more in line with the fashions of today. Or there's so many different things that we read and see on TV that say, you need this and you'll be happy. Or we hear the lie, even within churches sometimes, the lie that tells us that if we can, there's some scales, some scales that exist that maybe God is holding, that on one side are the good things we do and on the other side are the bad things. And if we can outweigh the good with the bad, then we'll be happy. And those scales don't exist. And we continue to buy that lie. It's not a new problem, it's a problem that's been existing since the time of uh, creation and uh, the fall of resting, of knowing that we are God's children. And Paul gives us some great insight on what does this mean to God's children. We read from our scripture this morning, which is Romans eight twelve through 17, and it's on page um, 1201 in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. So here's the word of the Lord from Romans. So then, brothers... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So there are promises that we have as God's children, promises that we have received because of God being our Father. Now, there's an important distinction I want to make sure to make because sometimes there can be confusion, and that is that all of creation is God's. God created everything. Everyone is part of God's creation, but that doesn't mean that God is the father to all. Those who have accepted the grace, the gift that Jesus Christ has given to us, those are the ones that are seen as God's children, as our fa- and he is our father. So, there's that part of, um, of specific grace and, and general grace. But according to our scripture and according to what Paul says, there's really four ways that we see how God being our Father really plays out in our life and speaks against these lies that we hear so much. The first is that as his children, we are led by the Holy Spirit into holiness. A great promise when we're faced with this idea, this reality, or, or not this reality, with this lie that's out there that a better version of us will fix things. It won't. The only thing that will fix us is God and the Holy Spirit, that we will see the reality of in eternity. Romans 7 and 8 are great scriptures that uh, men and women have been studying for years, and it really shows a great contrast in Paul and his mind and his understanding of who Christ is. In Romans 7, he's laying out his problems kind of some of the things that that he's faced and challenges and the things that he doesn't want to do and this is one of those scriptures that most of us can relate to in Romans seven fifteen, it says for I do not understand my own actions for I do not for I do do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate so what is it that's going on with Paul in Romans seven, where he has all these things that he's doing that he doesn't want to, that he he doesn't um, plan to do? They're more of his sinful nature than his Christ-filled nature. The main difference we see in contrasting these two scriptures is the reliance on the Holy Spirit, the understanding and the seeking of the Holy Spirit that Paul demonstrates and shows in verse eight. I mean, excuse me, in chapter eight. So the promise that we, as His children, Receive the Holy Spirit gives us a special, personal, close, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's immediate, it's bold, and it's a bold access that we have to Him. And we have it through prayer, that gift that He gives us, His sons, His daughters, through prayer. The second promise that we have as children of God is that God has replaced fear with freedom. God has replaced fear with freedom. Many times we read throughout scripture where God approaches people and says, fear not. And I had some, a lady at the end of the 830 service say, do you know how many times it says fear not in scriptures? And I'm trusting her in this, so you know, we'll, we'll just go with that. She said it's in there 365 times. Hmm, that's interesting. Fear not. We are people of fear. Fear that we haven't done enough. Fear that, um, that we're not good enough. And so what do we do? We try to get others to validate us. When we're afraid of things, we get others to assure us, which is not a bad thing. But if that's our identity is the assurance and the, 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 the promise of other people, we're missing out on the great promises from God. Verse 15 from our scripture says that we have received a spirit of adoption as sons, as sons and daughters. Adoption is such a powerful word because it's not a word that you know, I was stuck with you or that I just happened to get you. But you were chosen. And that's the word that Paul uses in describing our relationship with God, that we have been adopted. A New Testament theologian and scholar, F.F. Bruce, says that the term adoption may have had a somewhat artificial sound in our ears. But to the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might very well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So There was no subservant or, you know, B-level child for an adopted child. It was just as important, even more important, when looking at an adopted child. And so really for us, there's two eras in our life if we come to say yes to Jesus pre-adoption and post-adoption, pre-salvation and after-salvation, that we have been adopted, we've been given the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, and it's a small part of a great scripture, a great part of scripture, that says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No more reason for fear, no more reason for bondage or, or worrying, am I enough, but freedom. Freedom that we are adopted into the family of God. Freedom that we are children of God and he's our loving father. Offspring then as children of God should show and reflect the way of our father as we live out our days. Now, the third benefit that we have as heirs of God is that as his children, we can call him Abba Father. For those of us who have been uh, studying scripture for a while, this is a familiar, um, familiar scripture of calling out God, Abba, Father. But for the, the hearer of this scripture early on was significant because Abba is a, is a word for dad, which is Aramaic. And the Greek word for father is patar, which really shows an inclusion of the faith that we have of not only for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Abba was a word that Jesus would use in prayer, when he was talking to God. And for a Jew to call God Dad would be heresy. The old Jews wouldn't even mention the name Yahweh. Because they had such reverence. And here's Jesus who calls him Dad. His son. And we are heirs with him. We have this lie that we hear throughout so many different things. of That we need more than what we have. But with God as our Father. We are loved. We are welcomed. We are adopted. We don't need any more because he has lavished his love upon us. It's a cry, not just saying that we can say, Abba, Father, but that we can cry, Abba, Father. Cry out to God and he will hear us. It's childlike and joyous. It's an assurance that knowing that when we call out to God, he will listen to us. It says in 1 John 3, 1. 1, It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. When we call out to our earthly father, Abba Father, Daddy, He comes. The fourth benefit that we receive, or promise that we receive with God as our Father, is that as His children, we are heirs for eternity. We are heirs for eternity. I had someone who is bald come to me and say, this sermon is not for him, because he has no hair. I said, no, it is heirs for eternity, and we are heirs. We have received a great gift from God, no matter how many hairs are on your head. Uh, But that is the great promise, as we are God's children, that we are heirs. Verse 17 says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So as Christ is the same essence, the same substance as God, the, 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 the son who is born and connected with God, we are the adopted children. As we mentioned, that there's no difference. So we get the benefit of what God has given to us, what Jesus has paid the price for. We get that same benefit. There's um, the lie that we hear that we're not enough. We haven't done enough to balance the scales. But the reality is that we never can do enough to balance those, in, those non-existent scales. Because Jesus is the one who paid the price for everything. There's nothing that we can do to become an heir other than accepting that gift. I think that the idea of being an heir and receiving a gift is something that um, is is timely right now with Veterans Day coming up this week. And um, knowing the the veterans we're going to honor here in just a little bit. But there's a part of of those of us, I think maybe two kinds of people in um, in America, those who have served and those who haven't. And um, I, I did not serve. I took a semester of ROTC in college and realized that was not God's plan for me. My dad was a lieutenant colonel in the army and served many years in in the reserves and have seen, and um, don't know personally, but seen the sacrifice that our men and women give for the freedom that we enjoy. But then there are those who, we don't even know their names. We can read their names on walls or in history books who gave their lives, you know, 50, 200 years ago for the freedoms that we enjoy. And we are heirs to that freedom to be in this country. Heirs to the freedom of speech, the freedom that we enjoy and take for granted so often. And it's a similar way that we are heirs of the great gift of God. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation from Jesus, to earn the gift that he has given to us, but he has offered it to us, and it's our choice to accept. And we have this idea of when we accept that, of of the, the promise of the Holy Spirit and being sealed in baptism... Thomas Good, a Puritan preacher, um, gives us um, imagery of that ceiling and he says that that we are given the highest form of assurance possible. There is nothing beyond it. It's the zenith assurance, a certainty of salvation, knowing that truly we are loved. Truly we are loved by our Heavenly Father in amazing ways. One of my favorite quotes from John Calvin that I had to learn and memorize when I was in seminary is one that helps to speak of our faith and the assurance of salvation. It says that faith is ultimately a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise, promising Christ, both revealed in our minds and sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure for most of us, we had a time in elementary school where we were on the playground and I don't know what went into this, and I'm not sure if it really happened to me, but I know it's happened to a lot of people where a discussion turns into an argument, and the argument goes down the path of, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. And that's the discussion of whose dad is better. Why do we do this? Because we're in elementary school, we're young, we're insecure, and we're wanting someone to stand up for us. And probably the biggest and strongest person we can think of is hopefully our dad. But imagine if we were on that playground in elementary school and we were to say, yeah, well, my dad created the universe. What's a comeback for that? There's not one. But it is heirs of God. We can say that. My father created the universe. My father loves me unconditionally. He loves us all and gives us his grace and that we are heirs because of that. Tim Keller tells a story of a time that he was on a panel with a few other um, people of other faith and there was a discussion forum going on and there was a discussion about the idea of, of God as king and all the other faiths talked about, yes, that they, they see and they know that their God is, is a king and the same as we do and powerful to rule other over. But then the discussion went into the reality that we as Christians call God father, call, recognize God as our father. And Tim Keller went on to to talk a little bit about this and said, yes, our God is a king. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. But when you see that your God is the king, when you're a child, you're able to go to that king at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water. If your king is a distant, powerful ruler and you have a problem, you have something that you need his help, you won't go to him at 3 in the morning. But when we see God as our loving father, No matter what time it is, no matter where we are, He is there for us with the power of His Holy Spirit. There to listen to us. There to meet us in our needs, to hold us and comfort us in the midst of where we are. The great news is that He is our King and He is our Father. And as we understand and live in that, we live in a peace. A peace knowing that we are truly loved. And we live in a way that doesn't show that we're trying to prove how great our God is that we live in a way that shows how great he is and how small we are. We're going to watch a short video here that, from a pastor named L.M. Stockridge. And it's a way of looking at and seeing who God is and understanding who our great king is.
2: The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's unparalleled, he's unprecedented. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the Amen.
0: He is the centerpiece of civilization, and I get to call him dad. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we get to be your children and everything that means for our lives. We recognize your goodness and your faithfulness. What A privilege it is to be able to call out to the king at three in the morning or when we're most in need help us recognize that in every moment and help us share that hope with the world in the name of jesus we pray amen